genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep and boldly goes into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. And today we are continuing our mini-series on the Star Trek franchise with the film that passed the torch from the original series cast to the next generation. It's 1994's Star Trek Generations. And we have a guest joining us to talk about Space Heaven, Equestrian Showmanship, and Androids Getting Joker Gassed is returning guest, Travis Bow. Welcome. Hello there. Thank you. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, uh, it's Last been a time while. you were on for, for X-Men. Yeah. Little uh, yeah. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, right, right, right. That's right. That's right. Well, this is a better movie than that one, I think. Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> not exponentially better, but, you know, mildly better. Um so, so uh, Travis, what's your background with with Star Trek as a franchise, um, just just in general, and then and then we can talk about maybe like the first time you saw this movie, sure, uh, and everything. Um, I had seen pretty much all of the original series movies as a kid, especially uh, Star Trek Four. It was always on TV on a Sunday, you know. Yeah. And then I remember seeing this one. I, I'll get to that later. Um, but uh, just kind of was I, I dabbled in Star Trek, mostly the movies. And then in my late twenties, I decided to rewatch everything. And then I went along with the Mission Log podcast and mm. and did the entire original series episode by episode and then got into next generation almost all the way through and then my wife decided that she wanted to experience some star trek so we restarted uh star trek uh yeah the next generation and we just finished voyager so we went went through next wow. gen deep space 9 voyager uh pretty recently just finished Voyager, so, and then we've we've done all the the new Trek except for Lower Decks. We haven't done that one yet. Ah, oh, it's so good. Okay, uh, <laughs> Lower Decks is great. Um, and what about what about this movie? Did you see this in theaters? No. Um, so I was see this was ninety four. So I would have been eleven when this came out, and I this movie it. it it gives me a warm feeling thinking about the first time I saw this because I saw it at my grandparents' house and we would have been over there for just a, a family visit. 
And for whatever reason, I got to go sit in my, you know, in my grandpa's chair on his TV set. And I got to watch this movie. And for some reason, like that always just made me feel warm and, and, you know, fuzzy because it was like a good memory of uh, where I saw it. And then now that I have my adult brain, I realized that I would have probably been seeing this, you know, in 95 you know, on cable. And it would have been around the time that my parents would have been in the other room dealing with my grandmother's cancer. So that's oh. why I was in the other room able to watch a movie. And it, it never occurred to me until, you know, thinking about it for this, like, why would I have been allowed to watch a movie when we were visiting with family, you know? Yeah. And when I started to think about the timeline, like, oh, that's right. why I would have been, you know, distracted in another room. So right, right. It, it's kind of suddenly a weird memory. You know, it's it's things resurfacing that I didn't – wasn't aware that were going on. So yeah, it, it's it's weird now. But it, that the movie always held a special place because of just being able to sit in my grandpa's chair and, you know, and watch this movie. Um. But now it's a little different, but it's not a bad thing, really. It's just, you know, I don't know. Yeah. No. New perspective. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that, sure. Travis. Yeah. It, it really we, it comes up again and again on the show how with these big, sprawling franchises, because these are some of the most popular movies ever made, that like how a seemingly innocuous addition like a Rocky II or a Star Trek Generations can hold such strong, specific sense memories. Yeah in people's like timelines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nick, what, 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 what is your, uh, you know, connection to, I guess, next gen in general, like this cast of characters. Um, and do you remember watching this movie for the first time? Yeah. Like, like Travis said, I remember this one being on TV all the time, mm -hmm. just always on cable or spike or one of those. And so, there are moments of this movie that are like ingrained in my memory, like line deliveries, shots. Mm -hmm. um, also, and we'll talk about this next week. There, so my my introduction to the next gen, my almost my entire relationship with next gen is based on a VHS copy of Star Trek: First Contact mm. that I had around the time that we moved. We moved. We were living in a hotel for a few months. And this video cassette was one of the few movies that I had at, available to me on demand at the time. <laughs> and that copy of First Contact came with a advertisement for the Star Trek experience at the Las Vegas Hilton. <laughs> and, and it included like a Trek supercut mm. uh -huh. of all the best moments from all the movies. And so I have every like th there's a shot of Soren and his silhouette. Yeah. Uh, as the Nexus is like enveloping and I'm like, whoa, that's, you know, yeah. uh, data going, yes. Yeah. You know, that was part of the super cut. And so, yeah, I, I have a lot of strong, weird, like random memories associated with parts of this movie. Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, watching this movie, I, it, it occurred to me, uh, I was like, I was like, I know I saw this in theaters, but this movie opened in November of 94 I 
you know, my parents are divorced. And so I would go and see my dad during the summers. I would spend like two and a half months with my dad every summer. My dad was the Trekkie. My dad would take me. He's the one who took me to see Star Trek five during the summer of 89, you know? Um, And, and so like, I, I, I was like, in my memory, I always had remembered that like, yeah, I went and saw this with my dad, but then I, I realized that it wasn't a summer release. So I'm like, well, no, that's not possible Mm. because I moved in with my dad in the summer of 95 and stayed with him for like the next five years. Um, uh, like, you know, he had custody of me during that time, but, um, that wasn't true in fall of 94 when this came out. And so I was trying to, I was racking my brain. I was like, I know I saw this in theaters. I remember the reaction of the, of the crowd to like all of the stuff that happens in this movie. And I was like, how did I see this? And I realized, uh, a, an argument that I had with my mom which was like I was begging to go see the new Star Trek movie because I had watched a lot of Next Gen with my dad and my mom, who hates, despises my dad with every fiber <laughs> of her being, um, hated that I wanted to see a Star Trek movie and because she didn't want me to become my dad or be like my dad in any way. And so she was like furious that I wanted to go see this Star Trek movie. And so... You know, I did not earn an allowance. I did chores to earn money. That's how the allowance worked in my uh, allowance worked in my household. So I did a bunch of chores, saved up all of this allowance money um, and was like, I want to go see the Star Trek movie and I want to spend my own money. So now you can't tell me no. (laughs) And she was so mad and I and now I remember going and I remember this being the very first time I saw a movie by myself was seeing this movie. Um, I was nine years old. <laughs> I was nine years old and I was watching Star Trek Generations by myself. And it was the first time that I ever felt like a, a, like a grown up. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, wow. I'm seeing a movie by myself and it's a Star Trek movie like a grown up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, this was like the very first time that I saw a movie by myself was was seeing Star Trek Generations in theaters, probably not as soon as it opened. I, I would guess that it was like a week or two later. Um, but I do remember the theater that I saw it in now. And I remember the whole situation where my mom had to like buy my ticket for me and was just like, ugh. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I having to say one ticket for yeah. Star Trek, please. Um, and, and just being disgusted. Um, but, it's for my kid over yeah. there. I promise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I loved it. And then uh, uh, and then I remember that summer when I moved my dad, my dad was like, I got the new Star Trek movie. You know, I bought the widescreen like VHS, you know, from Blockbuster He's like, let's 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 watch it. You haven't seen it, right? And I was like, actually, father, I did see it. <laughs> you know, and getting to tell my dad that I went and saw a Star Trek movie by myself, and I think he had never been more proud that nice. I had just like on my own went mm-hmm. and saw a Star Trek movie. He was like, ah, I got him. I got one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but yeah, this was uh, this was a big deal. Um, I remember because it was just so crazy that it was like it wasn't Kirk, Spock and Bones anymore. It right. was it was the next gen crew. Um it was a really crazy uh passing of the torch moment. 
Um, you came up to him on Christmas Eve in your little <laughs> night, the Dickensian Christmas yeah. outfit. Yes. Father, I, I saw a Star Trek film by myself. <laughs> very happy, Scott. That's true. <laughs> uh, that's exactly what it was like, except it was in Florida. It was Dickensian Florida. Uh, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> um, so, okay. So the thing with Star Trek Generations, um, you know, going into the sort of uh, background of this movie um it's an interesting situation because, you know, obviously the next generation uh, premiered in 1987. So we're, we're, you know, uh, le- like one year out from Voyage Home and, um, you know, Star Trek V is uh, prepping. And so Star Trek V and six both air or bo- both come out in theaters while Next Gen is airing on television. Um, and... You know, Rick Berman, who is uh, the main producer of of Star Trek The Next Generation and um, Ronald D. Moore and and, and Brandon Braga, who are like two like big writers. I can't I'm not sure if they were they were were they the showrunners or were they just like big time staff writers? Definitely the I don't know if they were showrunning. I mean, they I think are by Voyager. Yeah. Yeah. or at least, or at least Braga is. They're they're um, really calling the shots, so it seems like yeah, for yeah, most yeah. Of creatively and, and, and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, um, especially when they got off the the Gene Roddenberry leash, mm-hmm. um, you know, they they went they went a little wild, um, but you know, uh, Paramount was like, okay, these movies are hits. We have to keep making them. We can't keep making them with these old people anymore. <laughs> We gotta move on. Bring in these other new... old people. Yeah, isn't there another Star Trek show that's like on the air right now? Like, can we do a movie with them? And uh, they go to Rick Berman. And they're like, "Hey, this movie's coming out. You know, Star Trek Six is coming out. We want to keep the franchise moving and grooving. So we want you to go into development on a next generation movie." Um, and he. Brings in, uh, he brings, he brings Morn Braga. He calls Morn Braga into his office, <laughs> and uh, they were both like, "We never get called into his office like together." They're like, "Are we about to get fired? Like, is the show canceled, or are they gonna like, you know, are they are is he gonna let us know that we're like being fired?" And um, they go in the office, and this is beginning of season six or end of season five, something like that. So they really like, they think like, Oh, okay. Like th- this is it. Like the show's over. Um, and they go in there and, uh, and, and, and Braga is like, Hey, so Paramount wants me to produce the next Star Trek movie. They want it to be next gen. And I want you guys to write it. And they like talk about how like they basically like there, it was like the opposite of the news that they thought they were going to get. And so they're like, they're like, so wait, but it, does that mean the show's over? He's like, no, it's, it's going to keep going. We're just going to, we're going to make a movie like on the other side of it. So probably only a couple more years, but you know, that's still like a seven year run and that's, that's solid as hell. Um, because yeah, they, they realized that, you know, scheduling, uh, 26 episode seasons of television, on top of making a movie would have been impossible. So they had to wait even during the hiatus, you know, they had to wait until the show was over before they could Mm -hmm. produce the show. So, um, 
Braga, uh, Paramount wanted two scripts. They wanted one that um, that you know writers for the show were doing, and then another one uh, they brought in. He might have also been a writer for the show, but they wanted two versions where um, the in one version they were going to bring back the original crew in like a cameo role and have it be like a real like Kirk and Picard kind of thing. And then another version that was just the next gen crew and it was just a next gen movie. And that's all it was. Um, and uh, they wrote both scripts concurrently. This is fascinating. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, man, TV writers, um, they, uh, they, so they spend all of season six sort of like in the background developing this movie and like the idea for this movie and everything they wrap the writer's room uh, on season six in May of, I guess that would have been like 93, uh, May of 93. And they go, uh, Braga and, and um, uh, Braga and more, they go to on a working vacation where they just like, they go off in May and <laughs> by June 1st, they turn in the first draft of Star Trek Generations. Wow. Um, into Paramount. So, like, they just wrote a whole movie in a working vacation over the course of May, and that was that's all it took. Um, it was just bonkers to me. Uh, TV writers, man. Um, just crazy. And, uh, and yeah, they talk about how, like, yeah, I mean, you know, um, Rick Berman gave them some, like, elements that they had to, like, hit. They wanted a data uh, comedy runner. Um, they wanted... Uh, they wanted the original crew to be in like a cold open kind of situation and then uh, have Kirk come back in the third act. And uh, uh, they wanted um, a big, like, uh, like a big, like Moriarty villain, you know, mm -hmm. like a, like a con. Um, and it's like, oh, they had, they, they hadn't figured out who their con was yet. Um, <laughs> that was going to be in the next movie, but you know, they tried, they tried. Um, and, uh, and it's yeah. interesting. You, yeah. you, you, you say phrases like, you know, a, a data runner yeah. or a cold open and that maybe like helped crack why they were able to crank the script out so fast is they're using the formula they've been totally. doing for years oh, yeah. at that point. Totally. totally. There's totally. so many points in this movie that would have been their own episode, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, so yeah, so they, they, uh, go, they, they, they finish the script and they go into, um, they leave. And so they just like, they're like, here's your script. We're out of here. We got to go start working on the final <laughs> season of next gen. Um, and, uh, Rick Berman and, uh, Paramount start, uh, developing the screenplay and, you know, getting a director attached. And the first person they go to is Leonard Nimoy. So, in this original draft of the screenplay, um, the entire crew, the entire OG crew is in the opening scene. Mm -hmm. And there's this great moment where they're like, you know, uh, the, the new captain of the Enterprise B is like, hey, why don't you all take your original spots and drive us out? Like to be like, you know, the old Enterprise crew, you know, taking taking the new Enterprise out. Um, and so that was the original plan. And it was going to be the whole crew. Well, that fell apart because they went to. Um, they went to Sulu, uh, and he didn't want to come back because he was like, look, if I come back and I do this scene, that means that Sulu has to be demoted, however momentarily, <laughs> from captain back to helmsman just for, like, this cute little scene. And he's like, 
I think that's disrespectful to Sulu and I don't want to do it. So he's like, I'm not going to come back. Well, he doesn't come back. And so now DeForest Kelly doesn't want to come back because he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm, it, I did everything. I had to say. I had to say everything I had to say with the six one. I already passed the torch to the next generation crew in the pilot episode mm. of their show. So like, I don't. I feel like I don't have anything I need to do here. So he bails, and then Leonard Nimoy reads the script and is like, "I don't have anything to do here. There's no <laughs> point in me being here. I don't want to come back either." And they're like, "Well, what if we let you direct?" And he's like, "I don't have any interest in that. I don't want to direct this." <laughs> I don't want to be involved in it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Like, I'm just sort of, I'm done. Don't improve my role in it. Just don't have me in it. I don't want to be in it. And, uh, and so that left, um, I, you know, that, so that, that left, uh, 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 you know, Scotty and, and, and Chekhov um, and Kirk, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the things that I don't know what happened with is um, Uhura. I, I can't figure out why Nichelle Nichols didn't come back or or maybe they just didn't even ask her because at mm. a certain point, I know that at a certain point, I I think maybe what it was was that Sulu, George Takai decided not to come back and then they were like, well, let's just shrink it down to the, the three then because if we can't have Sulu, you know, <laughs> you can't have all of them, <laughs> then we just do the three. Yeah. Um, and then when they all didn't come back and had to be replaced by two people, they replaced them with Chekhov and Scotty, and then that just sort of left her out in the cold. But um, Whoopi Goldberg, who was in this scene as Guinan, she like shows up on set and she's like, "Where is she? Where is mm. Nichelle Nichols? Like I like I know we're gonna share a scene together, right? Like this is gonna be amazing." And they're like, "Oh, she's not here." And she's like, "What? what? Like that's the." <laughs> This is what people want. Like, do you know how powerful a scene between the two of us would have been? Like, why wouldn't you have us together? And it just didn't even cross their mind. Sure. Of like, that would have been a, that would have been a, a thing that probably should have happened. Um, I would argue that with, was it the fifth? It was the fifth film that hints at a Scotty Yohura relationship, romantic relationship. Skahura, yes. Yeah, right. I I would argue that this shouldn't have been Chekhov and it should have been Scotty and Uhura because then you could have just assumed like, oh, well, they're together because they're together now. Sure. Now that they're retired, they're together and whatever. Um, I feel like that would have made more sense. And it also would have made more sense to me that Uhura would have extensive medical training mm. versus Chekhov. Um, because like, you know, obviously Chekhov is literally just saying McCoy's lines yeah. in the opening of this. They like, didn't even rewrite a lot of these lines. Like Scotty says some McCoy stuff. Chekhov says some McCoy stuff. Like, it's very obvious watching it when you're like, oh, this is supposed to be, Scott, you know, Spock three. And, yeah. and McCoy and Kirk. And it's like, why are they, why, why are these three acting like those three? Like, it's very strange. Hmm. Um, but, uh, in any event, um, it's a it's a testament to me of like that you know and I'm so glad that television in general and Trek has gotten more diversified in its behind the camera yeah. department because that just comes from having an all white creative right. team. Yep. It never even 
dawning on them the significance of having Guinan and Ahura together. I think there's a couple of times in this movie where they did not understand the significance of what they were doing. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, but we'll get there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but that was definitely one of them. That was a big time. Um, big time uh, uh, boo-boo, time. I think. Um, but in any event, um, they uh, so they, they, they shoot all of the stuff with... Um, oh, well, okay, so so Nimoy didn't want to come back. Nimoy bails on the project. Um, Berman and, and Moore talk about how they went into a meeting about, like, notes of, like, you know, rewrites and things like that. And they went into the meeting, and they were going into Paramount, the Paramount offices, as Nimoy was coming out and trying not to make eye contact with them. Because, you know, he had just spent the past hour, like, shitting on their script and saying that I'm not going to direct it or be in it. Um, and uh, <laughs> and so they're like, yeah, that was our first hint that he probably wasn't going to direct the movie. <laughs> so, um, you know, they, they, like, were looking around at different directors and they were like, yeah, none of these other, like, directors really feel right for this. Uh, because, you know, most of them probably don't watch Star Trek The Next Generation. The thing with the original Star Trek is that, you know, you had directors who might be interested to come on because, like, they'd watch Star Trek, you know, but, like, Next Gen is currently on the air at this point, mm-hmm. so it was just a lot more difficult. So they're like, well, why don't we just go to one of the directors from the show, like somebody who directed, like, a really popular episode? And so they looked at the director of Yesterday's Enterprise, which, funnily okay. enough, features the Enterprise C. Um, which is which makes David Carson like kind of the only guy that's like directed like the Enterprise like O one A crew on the Enterprise B also directed an episode featuring the Enterprise C and D and destroyed the D. <laughs> it's kind of crazy how yeah. much how 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 money Enterprise stuff that he's gotten his hands on um, as a result. But uh, yeah, D- David Carson ends up uh, coming in to direct, and their their thought process was like, well. If we bring in a TV director, he's just going to make it look like a TV show. And they're like, ah, but what if we spend just as much money on the director as we do the director of photography? And then we'll be able to bring we'll be able to make it cinematic just from having like a living legend on set as our cinematographer. And so they hire um, John A. Alonzo, uh, the the cinematographer of Chinatown um, among you know many other things uh but uh yeah he's uh he's a big time you know big big time cinematographer uh you know uh, scarface that was also him um he's uh <laughs> but it's it's funny though because in the 90s he doesn't have the best uh track mm-hmm. record so i imagine that like they probably paid quite a bit for him but then also he was a lot cheaper than he probably was in like the 80s maybe sure. Um, cause he had done, uh, pr- just prior to Star Trek Generations, he had done Clifford. You guys remember Clifford? <laughs> Hell yeah, I do. This is yeah. the cinematographer or? Yes, the cinematographer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The director had never directed a movie before. Yeah, I just kind of um, scanned through his, you know, IMDb and nothing jumped out. No, no after this, after this, he did, he did a lot more TV and he did two feature films, both of which are like, kind of like, 
not made like they were theatrically released, but mm. they were like made for cable. Sure. Uh, you know, action movies. Yeah. Um, one starring Patrick Swayze, one starring Wesley Snipes. Like just the mm. kind of stuff that you see at like two PM on a Sunday on right. TBS, you know, those kinds of things. Um There's one thing that stands out watching this movie and for like I like I said, I just went through three, you know, Star Trek shows in in and around this era. And they all feel like the same production value. Yeah. You know, the sets all basically look the same. But this movie, I mean, that bridge is unrecognizable as – and I'm pretty sure they use the same sets or – No. No. Oh, it's they, a different bridge. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did rebuild the bridge okay. because um, one of the things that Berman talks about uh, is how he always hated the way the ceiling looked. Oh. On, on the bridge, and so he was using the movie budget to finally fix that problem. Wow. Um, and uh, Avildsen, he his way of lighting a set was not like a TV mm-hmm. set. He wanted practical lighting for everything, only practical lighting. So It like, looks wildly different from anything yeah. you see in the series. Yeah, because it's all overhead lighting in, in, mm-hmm. in the series, and, and here, yeah. you know, he has, like, lights on consoles and and all kinds of things just to like light it in a more cinematic way well, you, can, um, you can tell when they have mm-hmm. a star outside the windows you know yes that's yes because it's flooded with orange light you know yeah it's so much more cinematic yeah um than than it ever was on the show which is great i mean that's that's the thing it feels like a movie mm-hmm. you know um which is really really exciting um, so production begins on Star Trek Generations, uh, in, in, um, like, I think like April or May of 94, uh, and they start with everything that the next gen cast is not a part of. Um, so everything, you know, featuring the Enterprise B and a lot of like the Klingon stuff and, and a lot of the Saren stuff is all done prior to next generation wrapping. So... Next Generation wraps its series finale on a Friday. On Monday, the whole cast goes to the <laughs> to the movie set and starts shooting Man. the movie instantly. That's so crazy. May end of May, like 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 May May of ninety four, right? They wrap on on all good things, um, the series finale of Next Gen, and then you know again that Monday they start shooting their stuff for Generations, and there was a lot of confusion about about. Um, costumes because at one point they were like yeah we're going to bring in these new costumes that we're going to do for ds9 they're like they're really cool and then at a certain point during the shoot berman was like actually i feel like people are going to want the suit the, the the uniforms they wore on the show because like they're in a movie now so like that's what we should do and so it ends up being this weird like mishmash of 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 uniforms where i yeah. can't where it's like at the beginning they're like wearing next gen uniforms fully and then they switch over to the ones with like the the undershirt and the collar mm-hmm. um but only some of them do and then some of them like Jonathan Frakes is literally wearing uh Cisco's uniform mm-hmm. um and that's why he has to roll up his sleeves because they're <laughs> like it it's too big the 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 uniform is too big and so they're all wearing other people's uniforms and it's just a mess (laughs) i noticed there's one scene with jordy and data and typically they wear the same uniform and they're wearing two different uniforms one has the black on top with the gold underneath and then the other is inverted right and the gold color is different on both of them right you know 
It, it's have, it's very odd. Yeah. Have any uh, have any of you either guys ever had one of those jobs where new shirts start coming in? Yes. <laughs> and yes. <laughs> That's totally what it feels where, like. Yeah. yeah. Or so like this is not an appropriate time to be <laughs> this adventure is not an appropriate time to be switching out uniforms. I like oh, that man, they I'm... it all still feels like next gen era because I hated the way the movies wild wildly, you know, changed the uniform, the look of Star Trek, you know, from motion picture on, they they never looked like original series Trek. So mm-hmm. I like that they at least stuck with the the overall theme and you know they didn't go crazy you know they didn't change it ridiculously right right not in this one yeah Um, it's very interesting how the but we'll talk about it in the the cold open but the meyer costume Mm -hmm. off the success of Khan just became the template for so long yeah yeah well and it's really interesting because i i watched yesterday's enterprise um to prepare for this uh after finding out that it was the same director and the thing that's interesting about the the yesterday's enterprise which features the enterprise C is that everyone is wearing the movie costumes mm. with the, with the strap and whatever but they're not wearing undershirts so there's no collar it's just bare neck with that <laughs> uniform on so like if they opened their their chest it would just be bare chest underneath that's so it's weird it's so weird <laughs> it's very bizarre um very, very bizarre choice, but you know, I guess you reuse costumes where you can. Um, so, so yeah, so this movie, uh, this movie wraps, um, and they have less than six months to finish the special effects and and release the movie. That's the thing that's mind boggling about this is that the series ends like May twenty seventh, nineteen ninety four, and this opens November twenty first, nineteen ninety four. Like that turnaround <laughs> is nuts. Six months later, you go from series finale to a movie featuring this cast. Crazy. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, no. we'll talk about it. But just uh, by and large, I don't – I think this movie – I mean, look, it's very limited in scope. It's not trying to do a lot. Right. But the Enterprise crash in particular, mm. I think it looks pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I, all, all the effects yeah. really hold up. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. With the exception of like that CGI champagne bottle, I think that's oh, sure. the best. <laughs> but but yeah, in general, I think the, the special effects hold up really well. Um but uh but yeah, that's uh that's that's Star Trek Generations. I mean, you know, it, it's it's interesting. They 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 wrote it, it's so funny because they were such fans of Star Trek. They know they knew a lot about William Shatner. And what like interested William Shatner, mm. and so they r- tried to write as much of it as they could into this movie a scene with with horse riding and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely um, and uh, I just think that that's so I think that's so funny but yeah that's those are his horses um, which is why he's so good with them yeah uh, he does some crazy moves with those horses that. <laughs> That are like really impressive. Bethany, you know, uh, my, my mm. wife who, who comes from um, the horse racing industry, uh, that's when where her, her first career was. Um, she was like watching the stuff that he was doing with this horse and she was like, whoa. <laughs> and also just seeing the horse that he has, she's like, do you know how rare that horse is? Oh, my God. Like she's like freaking mm. out. Like watching this horse, she's like, "That's one of the most beautiful horses I've ever seen." Like she was just like dumbfounded. <laughs> but yeah, 
Um, my uh, my favorite one is the little sidestep yep. he makes yeah. the horse do. That's that's yeah. the one that she was like, that is so hard to make a horse do. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So he was showing off. <laughs> um, there are uh, lots of rumors and and things about how Patrick Stewart and William Shatner like hated each other and didn't get mm-hmm. along. Um, and apparently, according to like all the research that I I, I could find, that is not remotely true and that, you know, they actually got along really well because Shatner thinks of himself as a thespian. Patrick Stewart <laughs> actually is a thespian. And 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 so, like, he had respect for Patrick Stewart because from that angle. But then also Patrick Stewart had respect for William Shatner and just like he's been in the industry forever. He was the original Star Trek captain. And so, like, they apparently got got, got along really well. Um, but you know rumors being rumors sure. there was there was really funny like they tried to make this work so hard um but uh uh Ber- berman and and braga and more they desperately wanted the poster to be like the two enterprises going at each other and it'd be like Picard, like Kirk versus, versus. Picard this summer, Star Trek generations um and they wanted that so bad but they're like we cannot they're they there's no reason for them to do this. Like, <laughs> we would have to bend over backwards, like, make one of them a mirror universe or something because, like, nothing else would make any sense. Um, but, yeah, I do. I do think that that's really <laughs> funny that that's something they desperately tried to do because they're like, you want to sell movie tickets. That's how right. you do it. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, they're not wrong. That would have <laughs> definitely sold a lot of movie tickets. <laughs> but um, anyway. Uh, Gene, Gene would have haunted them. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think so. I think so. I I feel like I feel like Shatner would have refused to do that, um, and I feel like sure. most of the original crew would have refused to do that. Yeah. Um, oh, if they had gone full Civil War and you have like Riker <laughs> squaring off against Bones. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Um. So anyway, uh, that is that is the uh, that is that is Star Trek yeah. Generations. Um, a lot of the cast talked about this uh on the on the red carpet but they were like yeah i've never done a movie before so like mm. they're like it was crazy doing this because you know on friday we had the whole crew that all calls us by our first names and you know we have our our tiny syndicated tv trailers and our bad our bad food and all the stuff and then on monday we show up to a movie set where everyone calls us mr and ms <laughs> and our and our 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 food service is unbelievable and our trailers are gigantic. They're like, it was just, it was night and day and I've never experienced anything like that before. <laughs> um, and, uh, and the cinematographer um, would have to tell them like, hey, you're, you're, you're working within too small of a space. Mm. We're in widescreen now. You can, right. You, you can, can move. go, <laughs> you can move around. Like I, I'll, I'll get you in frame. Like, you know, you're, you don't have to worry about the TV frame anymore. The three by four TV frame. And two um, actors and, don't have to be like an inch from each other to deliver yeah. dialogue to each other. Yeah. 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 Like there would be so many questions where they would be like, oh, am I, I'm, I'm not going to be seen if I'm over here. Right. So I could just stand here like, no, you're being seen. You have to do something. Um, you're not walking <laughs> in from Jonathan, off camera. <laughs> see Jonathan Frakes like pulling out a cigarette. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the cinematographer, his nickname on set was the, the master of light and ash because he always had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Oh. Um, that, 
was had <laughs> was burned down with just enough ash, but not enough to like fall. It yeah. never fell. The ash never fell, but it was always like a big chunk of ash <laughs> that people were like, "Is it going to fall?" And yeah. it never did. <laughs> They're like, wow. "Man, this guy's a master of light and ash." Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Tra- Travis, I had a lore question. Oh. Uh, before we headed into head into the breakdown, has every iteration Not Lord of the... Data's da- Data's brother, but Lord? Oh, as okay. In... <laughs> oh, oh my god! Yeah, didn't even know there was a guy. L O R E. Is that how you spell yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, has every has every iteration of the Enterprise been canonized? How do you mean? Like going from the A, like you know Archer to like nemesis or whatever is as as every is there a, a version or iteration of the enterprise that we don't know who the captain was oh. or it's like a blank spot in canon um i don't well like, well i guess like so you, this when at the cold open you get this captain who cameron from yeah um, yeah <laughs> i don't know who would be captain after him Cause because it's seventy eight right? years la- later, so there had to have been multiple you know, captains, so, two or three captains, right? So the A and the B and the C. So the C is in that episode, right? Right. That you're talking about, right? And then the D, of course, is in this movie, mm-hmm. and the E and is going gen, forward, next gen. yeah, and next gen, right? And and then the E is what we see in like first contact onward, right? right. Um, well, we actually no, that's not true. Just first contact, um, and so yeah, like there's no like rogue enterprise we're like oh we don't know what this model looked mm. like i don't even know if that makes sense no i don't think so because which which iteration of of the enterprise does archer captain isn't it like the nx something like it's not even a it's not even 1701 it's like a no i don't think so i think it's a different like, code and i haven't yeah. seen an uh, enterprise yet yeah so no, no one has yeah, that's <laughs> no it's does. next, but we're not going to rush into it since we just finished Voyager. Yeah, but Wa- yeah, watch Lower Decks first. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like has it been decommissioned? Like, are they still using that name in Starfleet? By the time we get to like Discovery, well, Discovery is the past technically. Right. Uh, what's what's the one that's not the past? What's the one that's the future? The for the the, the with Michelle Yeoh and Jason Isaacs. No, no, no that's, that's Discovery. Discovery, Dis- but Discovery that's... is the past. What's until what's like way? season three when they go away? <laughs> right. But then, but then there's no yeah. federation. Okay. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Spoilers for cool. Star Trek it's Discovery. a bit. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, it wasn't. <laughs> so, wow. Okay. I, I guess we can talk about that by the time we get to nemesis. Yeah. But, um, where it stands, like, you know, what's the furthest reaches of the timeline mm. that we've gotten to in the Star Trek universe. I think but, Voy- end of Voyager. I, th- or, well, I guess, or or is Nemesis? Is it Nemesis um, or? Well, no, it's Picard. Picard. Yeah. Right. Oh, or, okay. Boom. Yeah. Or or it's, or it's the, the later, later season discovery. Yeah, the later season yeah. Of discovery. But the Federation isn't around, so I almost don't count that because it's like yeah. it's like a no man's land mm-hmm. uh, post Federation. <laughs> yeah. So I guess Picard would be, I guess, the furthest we've gotten yeah. in, I mean, the in Federation, Federation timeline. Yeah, right. I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So it does crumble at some point. <laughs> That's fun. Thanks, Discovery. Uh, <laughs> as, as, uh, as Scott hinted at, we do this movie does begin with a slow-moving reveal of a champagne bottle. Very slow. And 
I kind of fell for it. I, I hadn't seen this movie in a while. I was like, oh, is this like a satellite? Is this like mm-hmm. where Soren? Oh, no, it's a bottle of champagne. Yeah. I uh, So the movie originally opened with a uh, orbital skydiving sequence in which hmm. uh, in which Scotty and Chekhov are in an empty field looking up and they're just like, do you see anything yet? He's like, oh, I think there. <laughs> no, 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 that's not it. Okay. And they're just standing there staring up at the sky. Well, meanwhile, somebody is like skydiving in from orbit. Somebody. Um, we know who yeah, it is. Yeah, and, uh, and eventually lands, <laughs> takes off his helmet. It's Kirk. And, and the concept behind this thought process was like, he is, now that he's retired from Starfleet, he is um, doing all these like wild and crazy things. And he talks about like these other things that he did. And like, he's talking about um, the things that he's planning on doing all these like wild, like X games kind of things. I mean, you know, this is the guy that free climbed Yosemite, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so uh, he's he's Bruce Wayne in Dark Knight Returns. He's you know this would be a stupid death, you know. Yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just, but yeah, he's he but he's doing all these things because he wants to feel something. He wants right. to feel that excitement that he felt when he was in Starfleet. But all of them are are hollow because they don't mean anything. Um, and that was that's the thing that Starfleet gave him was meaning. It gave him excitement, but it the excitement came with meaning and none of these have any meaning. And so it's just like, he's chasing a high that he can never (laughs) get outside of Starfleet. I think that one simple horse jump later in the movie nail wraps all of that up. You don't need the, uh, a death defying stunt to, to give it, get us there. (laughs) Yeah. And they, and also a place, the deleted scene is on the Blu-ray and it is, uh, I mean, it's bad. Uh, you know, like it's 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 an embarrassing scene. It doesn't it doesn't work at all. And so and that's what they said is like Berman was like, yeah, it just didn't work. Like, that's it. He was like, I liked I liked what it was saying about Kirk and everything. But like the scene itself on a fundamental level, the way that it was structured, the way that it was shot, the way that we edited it, it just didn't work at all. And so we just we cut it out of the movie and it just didn't feel that's why, because this was supposed to be happening during the opening credits mm. in the original version, and now they they replaced all of that with the CGI champagne bottle, which so. is such a lackluster. I mean, I'm used to Star Trek movie, you know, opening credits being a fly through space with some you know big score and yeah. some some words coming at the, at the screen. And I guess they're doing something different here, which is fine, but I either just speed it up, you know, give us <laughs> better music, you know, or, or something. Yeah. It's just – it takes too long to eventually smash into the side of the ship. Yeah, they used um, uh, next-gen series composer, uh, the series composer on the on the score for this, and I do think it was a mistake because – Dennis McCarthy? Yeah. He's just yeah. – he's not, he's not bringing anything new. It just feels like he's scoring another episode. Um, I was nice hearing the next gen movie yeah. theme again, yeah. Um, which like happens a little later when they're on the ship, uh, on the holodeck, and I'm like, oh right, I forgot about this theme. Mm-hmm. Wow, he's got um, some standouts so, on the score yeah. itself. Um, like this is one that I I hear every now and then, but yeah. Um, just but it's not shuffle, it's, it's not but... quite as bombastic as we get right with, like first contact, which is you know the best one is when. It, Kirk is riding the horse in the field. Like that's the best the music gets, I think, yeah. in this movie. Yeah, agreed. 
and it doesn't uh and it doesn't do any favors for the criticism that this does feel just like a longer episode of next gen yeah right which which um uh, you know braga and more they talked about and they're like yeah we were making a next generation movie like we wanted it to feel <laughs> like next generation and they were like yeah first contact is a big adventure movie that mm-hmm. is like what what is like the ultimate adventure these get this gang this crew could get into right and we're going to make that movie but this they're like we wanted it to be sort of a love letter to the series we wanted it to feel like like a like a hug from the mm-hmm. from the next gen fans you know like mm-hmm. like you know we didn't want it to we weren't trying to chase new viewers with this movie and maybe that was a mistake but that's Which not it's all disrespectful yeah. and 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 i think you know i i what what please yeah i was just going to say like wrapping up a seven series seven season show with a movie it should be for the fans it shouldn't you shouldn't be trying to you know I mean, I don't know, though, because you did just come off of six movies of the original crew, so it should be a bridge between the, the two, I guess. But, yeah, that, it's a tough They were They were to dealt walk. a tough hand to, yeah. like, get this movie to work right. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, there's well, a lot going on here. I appreciate the the mindset of like let's let's have this be a love letter to the to next gen the crew let's not have like a big dumb blockbuster let's have it feel like a next generation mm-hmm. adventure story and fair but then what is Kirk doing here right because two captains on the poster next gen meets TOS finale and salute to Captain Kirk that's a big event movie idea mm-hmm. where you want the big bombastic score cold open and so i think a lot of times this movie is caught between wanting to feel like an event of the two captains but then mostly being focused on this being a very next gen yeah style adventure yeah yeah i i think that one of the things that they could have done to improve this movie to like make it a little more uh cinematically structured I guess because it isn't particularly cinematically structured. I think um, I would say that what is necessary is better understanding Sauron as mm. a villain. Yes, um, and I think that the best way to have done that is to start with the invasion of the Borg on his home planet. Oh, Ooh, yeah, that definitely. should have been the cold open yeah. of this so that you see what he loses. So when he's desperate to get back to the Nexus, you understand why. I just wish we could have seen what his Nexus experience was. Yeah, exactly. It, and, but, and that's lack, the thing. That's yeah. that's the other thing that you need, though. But you, mm. in order to have that, you also need the cold open with the Borg invasion. Yeah. You need to see that also. You need to see what he loses and yeah. then see what he gains when he goes into the Nexus. And then you would understand him better as a character. Oh, yeah. And it would feel more meaningful, like what he's going through and trying to do. And you understand his desperation. And you get the one-to-one comparison between him and Picard. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, especially with the... What what Soren says to Picard about time being the predator. yeah. We need yeah. to see what Soren lost. Uh, that is my one, the, probably the biggest complaint I have with this movie structurally yeah. is just you don't know what what he wants. Because Picard mentions the, the wife and, and child that he lost. And I, I think we're meant to assume maybe he goes into the Nexus and 
spends time with his family, but right. maybe not. You know, it might be something completely different that he's chasing. I mean, I feel like that's that a hundred percent has to be it. It's the only thing yeah. that makes sense. Um, but yeah. but you never see it, and so by never seeing it, he like sort of talks it out because he basically says it without saying that that's what's in the nexus for him by explaining what his plight is later in the movie. Mm-hmm. But 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 again. This movie doesn't do itself any favors by like biting off more than it can chew because that's what the structure of this movie should be. Kirk should not be in this, right? Like it just none of that original crew should be in this. As fun as it is, and like you got to you kind of have to do it, right? The the mm-hmm. baton um, passing, the torch passing, but like you if you open with that with the Borg invasion of his planet, then it's like you got that, and then you got the Enterprise B stuff, and then you got Kirk going missing and pulling these this these people out of the nexus then you then you finally get to the next generation crew like in this version of the movie it's like 18 minutes in yeah. and in that version of the movie you're like 25 minutes in before <laughs> you get to the next generation crew i mean that's nuts yeah um so it's it's uh it's it's it it sucks i mean i guess they could have <laughs> done it in flashbacks maybe like later mm. um just to like explain him a little bit more but yeah, yeah. i don't know yeah, or uh, as maybe Guinan talking to Picard, you know, her telling him about Soren could yeah. have worked with some flashbacks of, of what she knows of him. Right, right. But, yeah. I mean, they seem to be the same uh, species, right? They like, are. The same, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. Anyway. So, uh, as Scott said, the cold open of, uh, you know, there, there's a malfunction. There's a, a Borg planet destroys uh, a refugee ship. They managed to save survivors, including Guinan and Soren. And Kirk is seemingly lost. Yes. Uh, interesting moment where we meet uh, Hikaru Sulu's daughter, mm. who is now helmsman at the Enterprise. There should always be a Hulu at the Enter- a Sulu at the Enterprise. That is what the solu- original solution should have been to yeah. like having the whole crew on board. But like George Takai is like, I don't want to come back. It's like, okay, then we replace you with your daughter in the movie. You don't come back. Fine. Your daughter is now replacing you as like the original crew member, and you could bring mm-hmm. the whole original crew minus George Takai back and still have that opening, have a horror on the bridge so that she can meet. Anyway, I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> the solution was right there. They literally did it, and then, but like for <laughs> like, like an irrelevant but, reason. <laughs> yeah. But it would still be totally appropriate for Sulu to be there physically yeah. and, and be able to see his daughter take take the Enterprise out. Right, right. But mm. I, I guess I can see the actor not wanting to waste time, you know, doing that quote, you know. Yeah. Plus, didn't he? Didn't uh, Takai and Shatner famously not get along on the original series? But I think okay. they had like mended fences mm. um, or fencing, mended fencing. <laughs> um, <laughs> they fenced it out. Yeah, they fenced it out. Uh, no, that was yeah, that was on the original series that okay. they they had those issues. I don't think that was in the movies. So all that happens, and we cut to 78 years later, uh, where we meet a far more nerdier, far (laughs) and possibly dorkier. The irony of it being called Star Trek The Next Generation, and it's a bunch of nerds pretending to be in a Master and Commander novel, is delightful. It's the best. Um, (laughs) It it doesn't work for me. 
Yeah. Oh, really? No. Oh, man. Sure. Fair because enough. it seems so out of character for so many of these people. They never went on. I mean, they they did hollow deck adventures, but never as like a way to promote somebody. And this is not what Worf would want. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah, a line sure. where they say no one's ever ever you know caught the hat or whatever. So you can tell that they've done this before. It just I don't know. I I, I can't no. see it. Thank you, Travis, because I, I have seen nary an episode of mm. Next Gen, so I don't really know what's okay. out of character for these guys. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, Scott, are there a lot of, are there, do they not go on the holodeck to like pretend to be in a, in like, pl- in like Plato's Republic or something? Oh, God. They, they go on the holodeck all the time. Oh, and, yeah, and, yeah. And play act. Like all, all they do for fun in, in the Federation is go on the holodeck and, uh, and, and live action role play yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's everyone's I'm, form of entertainment. Yeah. I'm glad everyone's in good mental health in this universe because like our humans would get their shit wrecked with access to a holodeck. Well, yeah. you, you don't know about Red Barkley. <laughs> I don't. He, yeah. He he's uh, a poster child for unhealthy abuse of the holodeck. holodeck. Yeah. But, God, I can only yeah. Imagine. But yeah, no, um, it's it's like this awkward wharf hazing ritual yeah where it's like and it's like wait how much did he does he know this is happening is it a surprise does he know does it it was it like ronald d moore did he think he was getting fired <laughs> <laughs> so so um a few things um number one this was not originally uh how they introduced the next gen crew in the script um originally we were going to cut to these two uh sort of like uh, starfleet knuckleheads on a on a on a like uh, a space station, like f- f- in far out space, um, bored mm. and being like, I don't, we don't even know what we're doing out here. Like, <laughs> well, like you know, what 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 are we doing? Like, we're we're listening for signals. Nothing ever comes out here. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then a Romulan ship attacks, and mm. um, the Romulan ship ship attacks, and then the uh, uh, the Enterprise in like a big heroic moment shows up and saves the day, and that was like supposed to be the big the big moment and um you know one of the one of the producers of the of the of the movie just like read this and they're like mm, it's just not that's not like it's a big exciting thing and they're like yeah no i know it is a big exciting thing but it's also like not something we haven't seen a million times before on the show they're like you should do something like really weird like um mm. You know, you go from uh, the Enterprise B to uh, Picard rolling an egg on the floor of of uh, of of uh, ten forward with his nose, <laughs> and they're like, "What?" <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, because it'd be weird. No one's ever seen that before." He's like, "Why would he be doing that?" And she's like, "I don't know. It's just the first thing that came to mind." <laughs> and so then that like sort of reset their brain, and then that's when yeah. they came up with this whole um, holodeck uh, ship huh. Enterprise I, ship I, scenario. I guess I, I assumed as I'm watching it, I was like, "Oh, they wanted to do a, you know, an, an actual ship in the actual ocean yeah. for the series, but they could never get the budget for it, so <laughs> we get it for the movie." So I kind of assumed that's what why this was here. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely like I remember this whole sequence mm-hmm. very vividly. Mm-hmm. Like I don't remember a lot of this movie, but mm-hmm. I remember like Data, not funny. Yeah, it's and it's it's like, the first the, thing I think of when I think of Star Trek Generations yeah. is this the scene. awkward slow motion wharf fall yeah. that yeah. takes like ten yeah. seconds, which Michael Dorn hated. He mm. he's I like can't I imagine. 
he's like, I don't like it when Worf is the butt of the joke. Whenever he's used mm. for comedy, I don't like it because I I don't think it works very well because it just comes across as mean. <laughs> um, I thought he just meant the makeup was unbearable. No, no, because he's like, no, because Worf is just not a funny character. And so right. to like make him the butt of the joke, he's like, it's fine when it's like played for like, oh, the awkwardness of like this really serious guy and everyone's like ribbing him or whatever. Like that's one thing. But like when he's like the butt of a, of a, like a slapstick joke almost, He's like, I just don't like it because it doesn't it feels like you're like taking away his dignity um, <laughs> in, in a way. And, and he just doesn't like it. They had like a two hour argument with with the writers about it, mm. um, about like wow. how I don't want this to happen. He's like, it's happening. We've already bought the ship. Like, we're not <laughs> like we're we not, can't we're not, not put you in the water. Yeah. Michael, sorry. <laughs> but I but I will say he doesn't mention this specifically, but I have a feeling that one of the things that he's actually really having an issue with is the fact that Worf is introduced in chains coming up from oh. under the ship. Uh, and I just, I'm like, nobody, no, nobody <laughs> is, is seeing like the visual uh, of yeah. what this is. Right. Like going back to the, yeah. Yeah. Going back like, to like the, the all white crew uh, mm. and just like no one seeing like the visual significance of what this looks like. Yeah, um, and it is demeaning. Like he got yeah. promoted, and he's the first Klingon in Starfleet. Yes. So every promotion is such a victory to his family, his his people, his own pride, and the, yeah, to like and presume they they hint that this happens to everybody, but we don't see it. So it just feels like a thing they're making Worf do. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is odd. I thought about that. I think it's, I, I do think that it's like, I don't know, like silly, charming fun. I think that they could have <laughs> maybe gone a little further with the whole boat scenario. Um, I, I don't know how, but like, it almost feels like not enough is going on. <laughs> It'd be cool if Worf was the captain of a enemy ship and it's like a yeah. naval battle. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or yeah, just do a sea battle. That would have been great. Yeah. But. Yeah. That would have been really cool. Um, uh, Captain and Picard, uh, the revelry is interrupted twofold. First by Picard learning some tragic bit of family news that we'll talk about later. And also a uh, Federation observatory has been attacked and they go there and find a bunch of dead bodies, including a dead Romulan and Soren played by Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked about it yet. Yeah. Who was, who was sci-fi introduced earlier um, on the, on the enterprise B uh, which that's a big, that is a big reveal. The reveal of Guinan mm. is like a big, like, oh, right. Oh, sure. wow. This is next gen. Like the fact that <laughs> she's the bridge, I find like really cool. I don't know. I like I her just whole love... timeline. Yeah. Yeah. I love Guinan. I love, I love Guinan. I love that Whoopi Goldberg, which is like, I want to be in Star Trek because Michelle yeah. Nichols is my, my hero. Like, I just love that. Like, I love that she's freaking Whoopi Goldberg. She wins an Oscar for Ghost and she continues being on Star Trek. Like, that's a syndicated series. Not even a primetime series. A syndicated tele- you know, sci-fi television um, series. Thank you, Scott. Because I, I I thought about this watching this movie because I'm like, holy crap. It's it's Whoopi Goldberg. It's LeVar Burton. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Patrick Stewart. And, like, is there a better... I just think about all of the stone cold, like real life legends that have 
been a part of the Trek franchise. Um, like going back to Nichelle Nichols and like James Duhon and George Takei and like what they were able to do with, you know, it's, it's, it seems it's very, it's, it's a, it's a quite a legacy. Yeah. 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 Um, so they bring Malcolm McDowell back aboard. And while this is going on, as we said, there's a runner where data wants to feel more human and, and you guys can help me out because like, you know, where did, did data end his arc in the series kind of like at where this movie takes place or does this kind of revert him back to, you know, you know, cause sometimes movies will do that. Well, like, yeah. ah, well let's kind of make this character the more popular version mm-hmm. of this character. Right. Right. I, I hate this storyline for data. Um, <laughs> wow. okay. I really do. I, I feel like I love it. <laughs> data at the end of next gen would not, question Beverly about humor. What is humor? He would not suddenly like, what? I have no idea what humor is. There was an episode where he got, uh, what's his name? A comedian. Um, there was an episode where data tried to be a comedian. So he, he gets the concept of humor. So for him to not understand why Worf going in the water would be funny, you know, that for me rings totally false and then the just rushing into putting in the the emotional chip that we'll get to, it it should have been its own episode, not a, a C plot, you know, in in a movie. I th- I think they you uh, know what's interesting. Oh, please, Scott. Uh, they they talk about this, um, and they talk about the fact that they had conce- conceived of the emotion chip, you know, seasons prior, mm-hmm. um, but never wanted to do it because they felt that. Once Data had emotions, he would not want to get rid of the emotions. Um, there was no honest way to do that because mm-hmm. by having him want to get rid of emotions, they would be therefore saying if humans could get rid of emotions, they would and mm-hmm. they wouldn't. And so he would never want to get rid of those emotions and they could not change Data that much in the show. Yeah. Um, so that's why they never did it on the show. But they always wanted to do it. And when they said they wanted to do a comedy runner... They were like, oh, well, that would be funny. Data, like suddenly having emotions is is a funny, that's a funny runner. <laughs> um, and uh, and so and so they they do it um, and they talk about the comedy thing that you're referring to. And they're like, yeah, we do revert him a little bit. Like, I think they say this in the commentary. Um, they're like, we do revert him a little bit. But the way that we sort of like squint and move past it is that this is a practical joke which is not something that he's dealt with in the show and it's a different kind of humor because if you don't have any emotion you're going to see this and be like well that's mean right (laughs) like that's not hazing him data yeah yeah that's not yeah Yeah. that's not that's not funny that's mean um and so when he does it to to beverly and everyone gets mad at him and he's like wait but that's what i said about when you did it to him and now I don't I don't so, understand and like yeah. it's more of like the uh, him wanting the emotion chip they said is more him like throwing his hands up and being like am I ever gonna get this you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> because, he's actually right because they're both not funny yeah right, right. <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> yeah uh, two things though I think what Travis said is totally valid because of, uh, as like someone who had had seen every episode of Next Gen yeah. and is like oh well this doesn't this is kind of like. They're kind of dumbing him down a little bit. This is kind of a bummer. Um, yeah. But yeah. for someone like me who 
still hasn't seen a lot of next gen, like knowing only like movie version of data. I, I remember still that uh, this is like every data moment is something I remember really clearly, mm. like from yeah. the making the the tricorder talk <laughs> oh, to yeah. the tiny little life form song. Yeah. Um, it, but it is definitely, please. They justify it by right after the making the tricorder talk, like by I, him laughing hysterically and something's wrong. So it's on the fritz. It yeah. Works yeah. in that he can't control now that he has these emotions, he can't control, you know, he can't help, but be silly when uh, for me watching it, it's like, it, this is not the appropriate time for any of this, you know, on, yeah. you know, when you're heading towards this situation where you're going to have to rescue people, it's not the time to put in a, your, your questionable emotional chip. You know, you need that. Wait till you're not going towards an, a mission yeah. when you can do this in a safe environment, test it out, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, but yeah, sure. And, you uh, have and to have thing, the stakes. So, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, you mentioned how like Lower Decks, Lower Decks is actually one of the few Trek things I have watched a lot of. I'm on season two. And so when I was watching this movie and all of the, the runner of like, Data and Jordy like being like hanging out and then putting the chip and when they go to the bar and he's like oh I hate this um, <laughs> that was, I was like, I, oh I yeah the audience lo- like loving every data thing uh, you know when I, I did like that, that hit, yeah yeah but I was thinking oh yeah Jordy and Data they're like the Tendy and Rutherford of yeah. next gen totally oh, yeah. totally totally and I'm like, oh what a weird backwards <laughs> perspective I guess yeah from, like actual Trek I I I love that scene of just like his reaction to it of like, mm. he doesn't even know how to react to something bad tasting yeah. in his mouth. Um, and, and just like, I hate this. Do you want another? Yes, please. Yes. Like, no. <laughs> so but good. it does feel like a, like the runner in a television script because it's so barely grazes the actual plot of the movie. Right. The way that with a film script, you're kind of more ex- expecting like, Oh, all of these threads are going to weave together at some point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think they get better at that with the next movie big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the series had so many great data episodes. I mean, measure of a man will, I think is my favorite star Trek episode, you know, of all time. And, you know, th- th- there are plenty of other data moments that he does get to experience emotion in different ways, you know, so to have it just thrust into this, it just, for me, just falls so flat, so far away from the great episodes of Next Gen that it would, you know, when it's just played for comedy, it just doesn't work for me. On the other hand, I get that someone like Brent Spiner has played Data this one way for seven years. I think he, he, I get that he wanted to do some, some different things with Data. Yeah. So mm. I can accept that, you know. Yeah. Um, another subplot, meanwhile, uh, we learned that Picard's uh, bit of unpleasant news mm-hmm. earlier um, is that, and we learned this through, uh, is that not Waverly Crusher? Yeah, Troy. Deanna Troy. I used to call her as kid Deanna of Troy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she goes to visit Jean-Luc in his cabin, and he, we learned that his uh, brother, Robert... <laughs> Right, Robert Picard. Yeah. His wife and his nephew Renee, yeah, have all burned to death 
in an accident. Yeah. And it's this like really dark moment of the soul for Jean-Luc where he's like, I, I kind of passed it off on my brother to carry on the Picard line. They're gone now. I'm the last Picard. I'm, I don't know how old I am, but I'm not, I'm not going to be having any kids. Mm. And it was just immediately like, oh my God, you know, Patrick Stewart, like yeah. you, yeah. like you said, you, you, you give a thespian this, this scene and he just knows how to make it, you know, you break, you know, your heart breaks for him in this scene. Yeah. It's a beautiful scene. I, I love the connection that Troy and Picard have. Mm-hmm. And that was always in, in the series. And I think they did a good job of bringing that, you know, they don't get a, she doesn't get a ton of, of screen time in this movie, but I think they do a really good job of, you know, giving, giving them the scene and yeah, it totally works. And I, and I think the sharpest point of the, you know, the closest movie comes to having like a really strong theme is both captains looking at the life they've chosen and the dedication they've given to the Federation and the bridge of the enterprise with regret and melancholy. Oh yeah. 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 With, with Kirk saying to, to Scotty, you know, when did Sulu have time to have a family, you know, and being surprised mm-hmm. by that. Yeah. You know, so that, that totally echoes what, what this is with Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Two things about this. One, uh, I haven't seen Star Trek generations in probably like 15 to 20 years. And so um, when this happened, I had literally uh, 24 hours prior to watching this had just watched the episode family. Oh um, man. Which is like post post best yes. of best of both worlds where Picard goes back and meets his brother and like, you, and he's, and he's on leave with his brother and his brother's wife and his nephew. And like, it's a really great episode about Picard's family and everything. And then I watched mm-hmm. Generations. I'm like, oh, they're all dead. <laughs> wow. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> Man. Um, I had yeah. not remembered that that's, that, that that's happened how season, to this movie. Yeah. yeah that would have been season four. Yeah. Season four, yeah. episode two. Yeah. Um, right, right, right after Best of Both Worlds part two. Man. Um, and uh no it's yeah. uh it's a beautiful scene and you know it hits me personally as like a nephew guy mm-hmm. who mm. is like i don't need kids i have you know like like oh sure. god oh yeah. no that that can happen and it's just you know about this movie's about the danger of just being alive and how you never know when you're going to lose people or your life will be upended yeah, yeah. um it, in a small way yeah i can relate a little bit to picard not directly to but you know i'm i'm my wife and I aren't having kids. I I worry that you know, did I do did on a small level have I upset my parents? You know, my dad. Like I, I'm not that that the Bo name isn't going to carry on from me. My my sister has a daughter, you know, so that it's not going anywhere there. Like, so I, I wonder, like, is that important to some people? And and uh, it's you know something yeah. you kind of mm-hmm. have to. Just deal with you but. make yeah you make these choices yeah in your life. yeah um the second thing that I wanted to mention here mm. which I just think is a really uh I don't know telling or just like it's just like a very like specific this was recorded at a very specific point in time and I just thought it was very interesting to share this which was like number one so this scene is playing out and they're they're talking about Deanna Troy and they're talking about 
Um, this is the commentary with uh, uh, Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore. And they're talking about Troy and they're talking about Picard in this scene. And the first thing that they talk about is the fact that, like, Patrick Stewart is crying. And he was like, they're like, I don't remember if we wrote that he was crying in the script or if this was a choice that Patrick Stewart was making. They're like, but I don't like it. I don't like that Picard in his big screen appearance is like crying something that he didn't really do in the show, but now he's doing it in the movie. And like the other one, I don't know the difference between their two voices. Mm -hmm. So then the other one was like, was like, it's like, yeah, every time I see this scene, I cringe. And I'm like, wow, guys, geez. (laughs) So, so that's number one. Number two, when they're talking about Troy, they're just like, yeah, I don't really understand. I've never really understand the point of Deanna Troy. Like she's, she's a therapist. On the sh- on the ship, and it just feels like a very eighties thing of like being a therapist, uh, like like therapist obsessed, and like very therapist obsessed culture. It's like you're telling me in the future that there's just gonna have like th- everybody's gonna have a therapist, and and everyone's every, and, and you're gonna need a therapist on the ship, and he's she's gonna sit right next to the captain. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's probably the mo- the least believable thing about Star Trek. Man. I was like, oh guys, <laughs> just you know. just fifteen year- years later, if you knew how many people had therapists. Now. Mm. Um, it just yeah. look, it look, it's it, it's just so interesting that they they thought of culture as like therapist obsessed in the eighties, yeah. And now it's like there's four times as many people with therapists than there were in the eighties. Now, right? Like you know, that statement has has aged far worse than yeah. the character they're criticizing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I just thought that was. I, I was I was listening to this conversation kind of just dumbfounded. I was like, wow, you guys could not be any more off base with this conversation. I was worried that that the only thing that they were going to say about Deanna was going to be her looks or the way she looked in this you know uniform or something like that, because that's how she was usually yeah. used in the series. So, yeah, no, they were more just criticizing like. Yeah. the the role of a therapist on the right. thing and they're like and they, they did they do make a pretty tasteless joke about how like we finally let her drive the enterprise and she drives her oh. right into the ground um women drivers am i right like they say stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. and but yeah you know it's the emmy award winning yeah 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 uh, <laughs> next time yeah anyway so uh so a lot of plot stuff we learned that soren is corroborate collaborating with uh, Klingon extremists and a good old fashioned bird of prey. Mm-hmm. He's doing a Doc Brown. He's promising to deliver wow. a weapon. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. crazy. Wow. You're uh, yeah, you, you found it back to the future connection yep. that we didn't. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, these and like his scheme, his scheme. Oh no, please. Yeah, yeah. So these, these, these ladies. Um, mm-hmm. th- this was sisters. Uh, yes, I, I believe so. Yes. So yeah, yeah. originally in the script. <laughs> They were like, what would Klingon women in charge be like? <laughs> and they're like, I think that it would have to be like, it would have to be like, you know, fucking Babylon in there. And so they wrote <laughs> it where it's like basically like a nonstop orgy that's going on wow. in there where there's just like, it's like, there's like sexy Klingon guys and the women are being like fed like clean, like alien grapes and shit. And like, nice. and, and it's like this crazy, just like bohemian mm-hmm. thing. And, uh, Paramount came back to them and we're like, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just make them regular Klingons. Right. We're not doing uh, any of you, this. 
you can keep the vibes of all of that, but we can't show any of it. Right, right, right. Totally. Um, I, I love that Lursa and uh, Batal, I think is the other's name. I, I love that they're here because they were you know, long running uh, foils in, in the series. Um, it's it's cr- kind of crazy that they get a death scene, you know, but they were always villains. So it's not like they were, you know, had any chance of redemption. Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad they used them here. Yeah. They said well, I had they, no idea they were in the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they commented on the fact that fans were more upset that they killed off those two characters mm. than killing off Kirk. They're like, no oh, one well. was upset that we killed Kirk, but they were all really <laughs> mad that we killed off these two. Mm. Yeah. That's so crazy. I can't. I don't want to get into this conversation, but yeah, like <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't felt. I don't know if I've ever felt seeing like a small screen character that I love dying in a, in a movie version mm. of the thing, you know? Um, I, I mean, I, I, I can think of one very specific one for me. Uh, uh, okay. Firefly. Uh, yeah. Wash. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wa- wash big time. Yeah. <laughs> I watched that first. Hmm. Oh, oh, right. You freaking weirdo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, well, that guy seemed pretty cool. I'm um, sorry that happened to him. <laughs> also, I just want to I just want to shout out um, uh, Brian Thompson. Yes. In, in this as one of the Klingons. I just immediately recognize him. Yes. He's one of those makeup uh, actors, prosthetic actors that I just immediately was like, oh, it's Brian Thompson. There he is. Yeah. Um, I just the, he, the, he has that that. Uh... His jaw is so yeah. distinct. It, it's um, his jaw and where his eyes land on his face because mm. they're like a little, just a little too close together. That mm. like it makes him very specific looking, you know? Yeah. It's funny yeah. when I noticed him, I, I expected him to be a big player. Kind so of did I. In, in the rest of the movie or a bigger henchman kind of character. But yeah. Yeah, he's just kind of background for most of it. Yeah. He uh, – um, uh, uh, Brian Thompson, for those of you who don't know who Brian Thompson is by name, Brian Thompson, um, he is uh, most famously probably um, the like one of the punks in The Terminator. <laughs> yeah. um, that's like one of the times that you get to see him without any makeup on. He's the one uh, who's not Bill Paxton. Right, yeah. the not Bill Paxton punk, yeah. Um, the more, the more uh, hulky, kind of yeah. uh, intimidating punk. Um, but in makeup, he's... Uh, he's Probably most well known as um, two characters on Buffy. Uh, one um, in the pilot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, he plays Luke, the the main vampire that, who's like leading the harvest to release the master from his whatever. Um, so he's that character. And then later in in season two, he plays the blue demon, uh, the Judge, who they assemble all of his pieces together and then release him from all of the boxes. Um, and then he can like. He like burns the burns the good out of people, right? Isn't that what it is? Yeah, he burns the good out of people because then he goes to Angel and he has no good, so he can't burn him. That's right. Um, yeah, he burns the good out of people, and he's blue, and he gets blown up by a bazooka. What's that? Um, yes. great moment. <laughs> so, I know him. I know him most from uh, Dragonheart. He was like the yeah the other knight that that yeah. you know Dennis Quaid would have gone up against wow. yeah and Long he was also the days. alien bounty hunter on the x-files which was sort of a ongoing he was in like nine episodes of that show i think something like that mm-hmm. yeah. over the course of 11 years yep mm-hmm. i uh so uh soren captures jordy and uh uses they 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 <laughs> he 
uh, stick a camera on his visor. Manchurian candidate him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which and, would, again, uh, would, that would have been its own episode, you know, and they yeah. could have spent 44 minutes to having a great Geordie as as unwitting spy. That yeah. would have been a great episode, but yeah. here it's I have fine. A <laughs> uh, is the joke of he's the only engineer in Starfleet that's never in the, is that a, is that a reference? It's it feels like more of a, a Scotty thing because um, Jordy was often in engineering. Oh, okay, but yeah. I think it seemed like a meta joke. But maybe they didn't do those yet. Yeah, I don't know. So but, they do a prisoner. Oh, please. Well, I I was also I was going to mention this because I I assume we will kind of like uh, skip past it when we get to it because it's just like a small moment. But the moment, speaking of Jordy, the moment when they have to like seal off engineering and he has to like Indiana mm-hmm. Jones under the door. Yes. I'm like, oh my that, god, that sexy ass roll. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but the funny thing about that is that he does that so many times over the course of the series. Oh, that same like we got to seal engineering and he does the roll into camera kind of thing. He does it so, so good times. at it. Yeah. I had just seen it in the best of both worlds. He had done it in that episode. Oh, okay. Um, because they're every big episode they separate the saucer from the from the base. Yeah. They do that Which so blew much my actually. mind as a kid watching this movie because I didn't realize that it came off of the doing it, you know, a bunch of times in the series. Right, mm-hmm. right. So they uh they in the prisoner exchange, they teleport Kirk down to the planet where Soren is getting ready to build the missile that will uh kill the star and allow him to go right back into the Nexus, but we'll also kill a planet containing 230 million people. Yeah. So uh, while the Enterprise is having a truly epic crash onto the planet's surface, uh, Kirk is having, and Kirk, Picard is having like a one-to-one tete-a-tete with Soren about like, don't you, you're going to kill people. I don't care. I had a bunch of children at a little Dickensian <laughs> study and like that was my thing that's so weird. <laughs> uh, Bef- before we do that though there was a moment with uh Picard and Data where Picard has to put Data in his place because all this emotional mm-hmm. stuff like Data is just trying to do a simple you know scan for where this ribbon's going to be and he's like I, I can't do it I-, I have too much too many emotions and Picard just f- flat out tells him and Picard, who is probably more emotionally compromised right now than Data because of the whole family thing, right? you know, mm-hmm. has to tell him, like, just do your job. Mm-hmm. So I really like that moment. I, I like that moment, too, and I like it because it's the first time that he's ever been able to talk to Data like that and Data mm-hmm. react to it the way a regular person would. Yeah. Because, um, you know, every other time he sort of has to, like, a dance around the inspirational speech for data to, mm-hmm. and say it in a very specific way for data to understand. But here he just gets to yell at him. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of great. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of, it's very satisfying. Um, oh, cool. I, I also wanted to um, mention because we, we, again, we just went right past it. Um, when Jordy gets kidnapped and he's on the Klingon ship, and the ta- when he's like uh, taking the visor out and he's being tortured, right? And he's shirtless and he's strapped to this table with the leather strap around his neck. And I just was like, is no one realizing that this is the star of Roots? No mm. one. Like, no one is seeing this visual and being like, oh, maybe we shouldn't get the star of Roots to be shirtless on a table with a leather strap across his right. neck. 
I, I don't know. Mentioned him in in Roots when you were talking about them bringing Worf up from you know in chains. I've yeah, thought, yeah, and isn't the guy from Roots right there? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I just again, it's the all yeah. white behind the scenes thing. No one is seeing that. Like the visuals of this are not a great look. Like mm. there's, there's so so. It's the fact that it happens so many times in this movie is just bonkers to me. <laughs> No, yeah. It yeah. Was I, I had a, was am I remembering incorrectly? Was Jordy often like captured or like incapacitated? Because it seems like in an ensemble like this, you usually is that one Daphne, so to speak. Mm. I don't. Th- I feel like everyone's was no. sort of on par with each other in terms of yeah. like, the the amount of times they would get kidnapped or incapacitated or whatever. They all shared that honor of being yeah. the Giles. <laughs> right, the Giles, too, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, uh, or kind of the Professor X, ironically. That's where, like, true. They that always, true. always you know. incapacitated. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, um, you know, we were talking about, like, Travis keeps pointing out these these moments, these, like, little these little um, concepts that are, that are like, that could have been a whole episode. That could have been mm. a whole episode. That could have been a whole episode. And we we're talking a lot about how this isn't structured in the most cinematic way. Um, and I'm just realizing, like, I just look at, like, Ronald D. Moore's uh, uh, filmography. And, like, this is the first screenplay he ever wrote. I mean, mm. you know, he'd only Ooh, written yeah. for television prior to this. This is the very first screenplay. So the fact that they even level up from generations to first contact at the level that they do is actually pretty impressive. I feel like... Mm. They all watched this movie and recognized the flaws of it as a cinematic experience, you know, um, yeah. and solve and all we of mentioned, those problems. <laughs> like, they're kind of hobbled by a really exciting sounding premise that kind of doesn't do the movie itself a lot of favors. No. Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So back on the planet's surface, we get uh, something I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not too crazy about. Uh, and we get uh, a really great awkward old man fight between <laughs> volume Picard. one. There'll be volume, volume two true. later. Yeah, I just think it's like I I don't want to see Barack Obama get in like a fist fight. <laughs> no, it it would just bum. It just bums me out seeing yeah. Picard being reduced to fisticuffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and such a tactically poor decision. To sneak up on him, you've got the element of surprise because he thinks he's killed you, and you just stand on this bridge and wait for him to notice you. <laughs> like, and then spoilers, they're gonna both they're gonna do it again in about twenty minutes when it's you know when Soren will be flanked by two captains and they just stand there and wait for him to notice. So it's so dumb. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's an embarrassing part where he's tr- Picard's trying to crawl through some rocks mm. and he gets stuck in a little <laughs> hole and he's like oh my little tummy my little tummy's stuck <laughs> in the hole and he, too many crumpets gets, he gets like Just shot like at Winnie the Pooh it, it is like Winnie the Pooh yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, I always guys knew I'd also- go out like this <laughs> <laughs> uh, the scene with with. The two of them, you know, give me a two-hour black box, the two-man show of just those two just talking at each other. Like, I, that's what I need. Yeah, like, They are sure. great. They have great chemistry on screen. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it is bonkers to me that this is the first time that Malcolm McDowell shows up in Star Trek. Like, yeah, he kind of has that. Yeah. 
especially just like looking back at the fact that Nicholas Meyer directed two previous Star Trek movies and mm-hmm. they did time after time, time after, together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they he brought back David Warner. I was going to say David never... Warner probably got all of Malcolm McDowell's roles. Yeah, that's probably. <laughs> and I think they're, they're they're the same school of actors where Warner and McDowell both have made entire careers out of bringing pathos mm-hmm. and real drama to you know pulpy genre material. Mm-hmm. Oh man, <laughs> David Warner did two movies back to back as different characters. That's true, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think? Do you think Warner would have been a better Loomis in Zombies Halloween? Oh, zom- Rob Zombies Halloween. Yeah, Rob not Zombies Zombie Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rob Zombies Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Do you think he would have been I a better Loomis than, than McDowell? Because McDowell's Loomis in those movies. Yeah, I haven't seen either of them. Oh, you haven't seen those. Okay, well. Never saw them. Not asking the right audience, obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> All right. That's an interesting question. I mean, like, you know. David Warner as Loomis. That's a cool. That's a that's a metal idea. Yeah, Malcolm McDowell. Michael. Is odd. I don't know. It's a. That's oh, unfortunate. It's a strange choice. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, the planet gets wiped out, and Kirk and presumably Soren, interestingly, uh, get swept mm-hmm. into the Nexus. Um, yeah, I, he get he has he gets sucked out twice. That just hit me. Yeah. So, okay. Here's where I start to question what the hell is going on here. Because okay. while this happens, they get sucked in, right? And the entire planet blows up. Everyone dies. Yeah. The Enterprise gets wrecked. Everything is destroyed. It's Spot done. Spot dies. Yeah, everyone's Spock <laughs> dies somewhere in a bed somewhere. <laughs> He's dead too. I don't know. Whatever. Everyone's dead. And we go into the Nexus. We go through the whole Nexus of it all. But when we come back, like, somehow they are like, yeah, and then, like, the thing that I want to do is have another shot at this, so we're going to do that. But that's, they're in the Nexus. So, does the rest of Star Trek take place in the Nexus? Because, see, I don't remember anything about the Nexus being like, yeah, you can time travel within the Nexus. Right. Because that is essentially what happens is, so he, so he has a thing where he meets his little Dickensian you know, children yeah. and like it's Christmas night, Papa. And like, oh, this is cool, but <laughs> Papa. And then, <laughs> then Guinan, you know, he wants to leave because he realizes it's not real. Yeah. yeah. And Guinan's like, well, if you leave, you can go back at any point in time that right. you want. And like, they don't establish. Uh, yeah. Where is that established? Other than right. her just telling him that that's how it works. That is that is <laughs> odd. <laughs> Because yeah. in theory, Soren is doing the same thing. He's living out his fantasy in this whatever amount of time. Couldn't he do the same thing? Or yeah, it's bizarre. Because like, why, yeah, does, why does isn't his, he please. in the Nexus then? Like somewhere, yeah. yeah. Like why? Why does why does Patrick Stewart get to pull him out of the Nexus right. just because he wants to? Right. Why does he have objectivity? Right. Mm-hmm. Like he should have to. By all, I guess the most, the most, like realist. I don't know. I don't say realistic, but it almost makes more sense for him to have to go into Soren's Nexus yes. stream and pull him out manually. Oh, that yeah. would have been so great to yeah. go into his paradise the same way he goes into Kirk's. You know, right? That's how him you in could the have, Nexus. That's how you could have seen it. Is like you have the flashbacks yeah. earlier, and then when Patrick Stewart goes in there, he like that's yeah. when you get to see what his heaven is, Man. what his Nexus is. 
And you're like, oh, wow, this is really mean that I have to pull you out of this. But <laughs> yeah. 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 Because it's, it's weird how he's able to undo the deaths of millions of people. Yeah. Because it's, like like... it's also weird because Picard and Kirk remember being in the Nexus, but Soren doesn't remember being in the Nexus right. now. Now that yeah, they've gone yeah. back in time. For so, him, yeah, he hasn't gone back into the me- Nexus yet. Once, yeah, yeah, but that's not mm. the same. I, then that's not the same guy that went in right. earlier. So now are they yeah. in a separate timeline? Is this a new timeline now? Because I can buy the Enterprise crew going back in time, quote, and not having any memory of dying because they're on another completely different right. place. Sure. They're being affected but, by everything, not. Yeah, yeah, but everything Crazy that happens change. to Picard happens to Soren. They're like meters apart from each other yeah when they get hit yeah right. i just had this you know wish or i guess a fantasy of how 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 much better this scene could have been like in into the spider verse when wilson fisk gets his replacement family mm-hmm. and they see how savage he is yeah and they mm-hmm. get shocked and and disgusted by this wilson fisk you know, beating on this kid, basically, you know, how great would it have been if there had been a scene with Picard and, and, you know, Malcolm, uh, Soren and his family sees what Soren has become, like what he's done to get here, killed 230 million people. And for them, the family to say, no, you are not our father, husband, you know, 1000 Nexus cast him out. 1000%. However, here's my next follow-up question. <laughs> Guinan says you can return at any point that you want, yeah. right? So why doesn't Picard choose to go back and save his family <sighs> from the fire, which was like days ago? Days. God yeah. Damn it. <laughs> hey, Robert, don't. Whatever happened, like don't don't turn off the stove. Because yeah. You don't even really know like how they burned to right. death. So which you don't have to. He doesn't yeah. do that. Yeah. And then also. Why didn't uh, Soren do the same thing? Why didn't he go in and then just be like, I want to go back and save my family from the Borg? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I Or like even like even to go back to when he's pulled out of the Nexus to be like, okay, now I'm not as disoriented. I can I know I can like run to a shuttle or something and yeah. like fly it back into the I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because like, why isn't he allowed to do any of the stuff that Picard is? The time yeah. travel element of this breaks it, I think. Right. I, I, I think that's what breaks it. And, like, I, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, it just does, like you, you just talk about it for, like, half a second, and it, none of it makes any sense. Um, I, and I just, I'm like, did they just wash right past this stuff, or was there literally no one there to ask these questions? Well, I think for me watching it, I didn't think about the time travel aspect of it and how it's weird, you know, until really talking about it. But, I mean, you'd think when they're making a movie, they spend a lot of time talking about it and someone yeah. would have said, how does this time travel work? But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's Star Trek. They do a lot of crazy time travel. Right. Yeah. Um. And that's kind of like that's the fun of of lower decks. A lot of the time is they do mm. kind of acknowledge like, yeah, like there's like three active deities that are just kind of running around, <laughs> oh, yeah, stuff like that. Nice. Um, but that 
that being said, we are we do come then to uh, Travis. You mentioned this being like a very cozy movie for you, mm. and I agree. Especially like I this is my favorite part of the movie. I think is Kirk's like cozy Mumford yes. and Sons cabin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I love that scene. Yeah. I think fully real life chopping wood. You can kind of tell oh, by yeah. his form. So, so Such a uh, Chad. I watched this movie a few days ago and, and Nick and I went out and saw a, a, a separate movie last night. And I told him there's something about Shatner in this scene that is specifically feels like Chris Pine only watched this movie to get his Kirk. <laughs> There's so much of Chris Pine's Kirk in this that I see in this in this scene in this in this movie. Nick, did you see what I saw? Did you did you feel it? I absolutely because you highlighted a particular moment, Scott, where you know Kirk's in the kitchen, he's making eggs, and he's like, "I feel like something's missing," and mm-hmm. then toast comes toast. out, and he goes, "Ah!" <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah. "Oh wow, yeah, that's very Chris Pine." <laughs> yeah. There's so much of Chris. I Pine love in Shatner in this. Yeah, this scene. Yeah, Dill. He, uh, critics me. at the time, <laughs> pr- critics at the time really hated how much better of an actor Patrick Stewart was than William hmm. Shatner because they just felt like he was being very hammy and 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 Picard is like very earnest and it just doesn't. The two don't work together at all. Um, but that's but, that's the difference in Treks. A hundred percent. Original like you series was Kirk getting his shirt off every time. One hundred percent. You you can't yeah. do this otherwise. Like, no, yeah. You would be you would be dishonest to one or both of them if right. you changed changed it in either direction. Yeah. yeah, and and not to say that Kirk can't have be a serious captain. You know, look at Wrath of Khan. Look at Star Trek Five. You know, I need my pain. You know, stuff like that. Like he can be the serious guy, but. Yeah, he. Yeah. Did. I like that he gets to play it a little more yeah. honest, and and because he is kind of finding out, like, oh, I'm dead, and I'm just living in in fantasy land. You know, okay, that works for me because I've 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 given enough to to Starfleet, so yeah. now it's my time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I. It's like he's so. Love it's such a lovely performance. This whole yeah. vignette. It's almost like you get like a five minute Christmas carol or it's a wonderful yeah. life. Mm-hmm. My heart breaks every time he runs up those stairs with the tray and he's mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna do it different this time. Like you really you want to believe him. You almost yeah. want to see him pull it off. <laughs> I wish I understood. Get, I'm gonna get married to that beautiful thirty two year old woman in my bed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Throw her a bone finally. You know, help her out. Uh, <laughs> I wish I understood what, how he goes into the room and ends up in the stable. Like, what is controlling where you go? Because couldn't Kirk, it seems like if this is Kirk's fantasy, he would get to go into the bedroom and there's his his future wife or, you know. I don't know what is, what, I don't know, deity or what, whatever is, is pulling, is changing the scene on him and deciding, no, you need to go into this flashback and, you know, do this horse riding sequence other than them. Like, Hey, we want to get you on horseback. Well, you know, Scott mentioned the afterlife or heaven Mm -hmm. in our intro. And it calls into the question of like, how much design or, you know, would you even heaven as a concept, you know, would you even want to have? Would you really literally want to be in charge of like, and now I want to go back to when right. I 
first met right. my wife and now I want to see the birth of my son again? Or is yeah, it yeah, or kind would of, it just would, be a, a situation where like heaven as a concept knows what would make you the absolute happiest right hmm. now? Like shuffle mode almost. And, sure. yeah, yeah, and yeah, for yeah. whatever Greatest reason, hits. like regardless of what his goals were when he walked through that door, there was something about going on in his mind that like the happiest he would be would be to see his horses right now. So right. that's what it's switching to, you know? I guess dreams are a little bit like that. You can't necessarily, you know, direct a dream. They kind of right. go where they want to go. And Right, right. Right, yeah. Like you're about to lean in to kiss someone and then you're like skydiving. And okay. you're like, no, I didn't want, no. You're pushing you know. an egg across the floor. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I love the moment he sells the, you know, where he jumps over the gorge or the whole, mm. you know, and he's like, Wait, ah, uh, no, it's not. Yeah, it's not real. And yeah, that's, that's what moment, yeah, yeah alluded to earlier with you know Scott. You mentioned the uh, the thing about the the him doing you know death defying stunts. You know, right. and in here, this is a little bit for me. This there's no fear in this jump. Is a little bit Star Trek Five when he is giving that great speech about him him needing his pain. I think that's Star Trek Five. Yeah. 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 What what does God need with the, you know, I don't want to misquote it again. And that it totally works on that level for me of like, this would feel hollow to Kirk. And I, and and that is why you don't need the the stunts at the beginning of the movie because you say all you need to with, he's not afraid with with this jump. There's, there's nothing here. There's no purpose, you know? So yeah, Yeah. let's, let's get out of here. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's funny. I you know, it, it's just I just think it's interesting that like, if only uh if only Spock's brother had known about the Nexus, um mm. you know yeah, he probably would have been chasing that instead For of sure. There's a what with a what? <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> That's God. Yeah, let's go do that instead. <laughs> oh man, uh, uh, I always speaking of Spock, I always thought the reference. The throwaway line alluding to Spock was a, a little. It sounds weird to call this movie, but it's like the kind of the most fan servicey moment the movie has. I think. Yeah. Mm. I, I kind of just wish Picard would have said, "Oh yeah, I met him. <laughs> I was there when he." I think. Oh, it was Sarek that dies. Yeah, never mind. But, but still, he he did meet Spock. I so. I know him. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I also met Mister Bones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that there's a Farpoint reference in this with when Data is like, he gets the joke. I think that's the uh, most fan servicey moment oh, of, cool. of, the, yeah. of the movie. Because yeah. that is so specific. Because yeah. uh, Nick Encounter Farpoint is the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. So, like, the joke is oh. that he's getting a joke from the pilot episode of the show. Yeah. That's and Jordy yeah. says, you know, that happened like seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's funny. I was like, it that's, wasn't that funny, Data. No, <laughs> that's great. Uh, no, that that, yeah, that that's a very that's a lovely reference, and it just speaks to like you. I, I think watching this movie from the outside, you do get the sense that this crew has been together for that amount of time and are that intimate and comfortable around each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so they come, they go back. You know, Kirk gets his cool like, oh, odds are against us. You know, <laughs> people in need sounds like fun. And great trailer line. Yes, there's a lot of great trailer lines in this. I, yeah. I wonder. I want to. I want to watch the actual trailer and see yeah. what made it. Yeah. We get another old man fight, and 
there's a lot of scaffolding and I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, seeing Kirk doing fisticuffs in a quarry one last time is fun, but I got two problems. One, this is just not, I mean, I, I think this has been said a lot of times, but this is just kind of an, uh, in magnanimous end for Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I arguably, so like, you know, the moment where he's just climbing up some scaffolding and it breaks and he falls mm-hmm. after some, they have a big, like, call me Jim. I'm going to, I'm going right. to go handle. Sorry. Oh, no, I'm not. Ah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, why did you write it that way? <laughs> uh, so, so here's the, here's the funny thing about the ending. Um, okay. So this is a reshoot. Uh, mm. this is a reshoot. The original version of the ending that was originally shot, um, Kirk gets shot in the back by Soren. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, and test test screenings uh, <laughs> were uh, furious about this. They were like, Kirk would never get shot in the back. That's so disrespectful, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So instead, they strap him to a, <laughs> to some scaffolding and flip him end over end into a rock Ragdoll him. <laughs> yeah. I half expected to hear the goofy yell. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh it's you know not great. Oh, please, please. I I think one of the issues is just you know the the budgetary restraints of this third act for sure um, forcing them to do this in a in a sort of mountainous range because it's actually not a rock quarry it is a legitimate like yeah. it's like the it's it's in Nevada it's a it's I a, wish it was Vasquez Rocks in California where sure. they shot so many yeah scene outdoor scenes in in the original series yeah. And, Instead of this, you know, Valley of Fire. Right, right. Um, um, but. but originally in the script, this was supposed to be a jungle environment. Hmm. Um, it was supposed to be, like, very green and, like, lots of lots of uh, trees and, and I everything. I wonder if that's but, why um, the, the Enterprise goes down in a forest. Yeah. Because it's the same so. planet, I think. I, oh, I mean, that's a good the, catch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My my guess is that uh, that budgetary situation did not occur until all uh, after they had already paid for the visual effects for mm-hmm. that sequence to happen, um, yeah. and then changed their mind on how to how to operate yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's unfortunate because it is it is less cinematic. I think just you know, I'd like that he uh, he achieved. He achieves his purpose, you know, because yeah. he's been talking about was there a purpose, you know, did it matter? And I like that he he's got to get that that remote control. He's got to get to that. He's got to uh, make the missile visible again, and and he achieves that goal, and and then dies. I'm okay with this death. I absolutely love the actual final moment. Yeah, of the actual death. Yeah, I yeah. really like. Um, and I think so, I think I on the other hand to counter what I just you know I think I do appreciate that you know we never end on a high note in life yeah it's it's always just like he died doing his just another mission not saving the most amount of people but just saving some people just doing yeah. what you know and it's like yeah he went out doing what he did even though it wasn't like yeah. the most epic version of it. Um, so in that original jungle version, uh, Soren was going to take over this like sort of base on this planet that's in the jungle that has the rocket and all of that stuff in it. And um, it was going to have security precautions in place. Uh, I want to remind everybody that this is mm. like 1994. 
Um, yeah. There's going to be security, uh, security stuff in place. And um, the security thing was going to be that you could only go, you could only enter one section at a time and there would be force fields separating each section. And at a certain <laughs> point, Picard and Kirk and Soren would all be in separate force field sections <laughs> um, that yep. would open and they would have to race into the next section. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and that was going to be how Picard wasn't going to stop, be able to stop Kirk from dying. Um, because he was trapped behind a force field. Um, obviously, this sounds like something that would happen five years from now uh-huh. from another very famous start, uh, 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 you know, Space sci-fi, uh, yeah, sci-fi franchise, equally um, beloved. The that's yeah, funny. the Phantom Menace. Um, but yeah, I just think that that's so funny that that was the original, and it is. It does sound much more cinematic in terms of like how you yeah. kill off Kirk. Well, that's just. Return of the Jedi going down to Endor, they have to go to this base and shut down a, you know, yeah. thing that's going to shut down the force field. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Uh, to quote Mr. Dink, very expensive. Very expensive. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I like that it just ends up a pile of rocks with one missile. <laughs> yeah. It, it was going to be this jungle with a, a, a base, you know, and force field. This, this movie has two. <laughs> Awkward zoom ins of villains realizing that they're about to die, mm. <laughs> and it's great. I'm so, I'm sorry, but a, a, a jungle base full of uh, force fields turning into uh, a bunch of scaffolding on rocks is the most Star Trek thing that yeah that you can ever do. <laughs> oh uh, man! I, I was also going to say it, you know because you, you, uh, uh, Travis mentioned it would have been cool if they'd filmed like where they shot. The kind of desert fights. Yeah, in the sea. it would have been yeah. really cool if if Soren had what are those? Who are those dinosaur head guys that Kirk fights? Oh, the Gorn. Oh, the Gorn. If he had yeah. a, like two yeah. Gorn henchmen, and Kirk mm. has like one last Gorn fight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's what he wished for when he came out of the Nexus was for yeah. <laughs> some... Gorns. Gorns. <laughs> well, he's chopping wood. They just yeah. they just pop out sometimes, and I gotta fight them. <laughs> Go get Gorn backups. Yeah. So um, and yeah, like I I also think. Shatner's acting in his final moments is really great. You know, we get yeah. it was fun, and then oh my, and it's it after following this character, you know, through all of the OG mm. movies these past few weeks. It uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was a poignant end. Yeah, Shatner. Yeah, because Kirk has always been a, the guy. You know, I mean, from Star Trek Two on, when he's he's he feels young again, you know, and he's excited about the next adventure and for him to look at death and to be seeing whatever he sees you know as far as what's next a white light or whatever and peru he says oh my and because it's a new adventure to him that that's how i read this Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. it's 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 kirk about to step into the the unknown you know the to go beyond, you know, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's perfect. Yeah. Um, Final Shatner talks a lot about, you know, his death, uh, about about Kirk's death, and um, talks about, you know, how there was a lot of back and forth from him because he had a lot of notes on how he felt Kirk should go out. Um, and ultimately, when it came down to like the actual death scene, uh, he talks about he doesn't really like it. Like he doesn't really like how Kirk mm. goes out. But he was also like, I wanted to, I wanted to be the guy who like does it though. Like I, I wanted to, I didn't want him to just die 
an old man in bed somewhere. Like that's not how Kirk goes out. And right. so, you know, I, he did it and he's like, he, he was like arguing with them about how to do it. Like, all the way to shooting it, and then when you finally got to the scene, they're like, "Are you going to do it?" He's like, "Yeah, of course I am. I'm a professional." And he acted the hell out of it, you know. Yeah, but like, yeah. he wasn't. He was never happy with this. Um, mm-hmm. He was just sort of like they got it to the best place it could be given the situation um, and and everything. But yeah, he wished they could have developed it a little further and given him a big heroic ending. Um, and instead, it's a it's a little half assed. I think the whole scenario leading to his death but i think you're both right that final scene is i mean it's great it's flawless yeah yeah also a big fan back uh on the ruined debris of the enterprise d Mm. uh waverly crusher and mr data are you know scanning for survivors and data (laughs) is reunited with his beloved companion spot the cat yeah um that's my favorite thing i just (laughs) nice i i can never that's i can never hate this movie because it has that moment of like data being reunited with this cat and like not understanding what happy tears are. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I love that. I, it's it to me, that moment is that moment and, and Picard yelling at him about not wanting emotions anymore. Um, those two moments make this arc worth it to me in this, in this Mm. movie. Like I just, I love both of those moments and the audience reaction to him saying shit. That's a oh, that's so. Yeah, that great. was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think canonically the first time anyone said shit in a Star Trek anything, um, mm. and so I remember the audience absolutely losing their minds when that happened. <laughs> um, and me, I was nine, so I was just like, "Oh sure. my god! Oh my gosh!" Mister Data cursed. Yeah, Mister Data said shit. <laughs> <Mr>. Data. <laughs> uh, I love that Data's the first person in Star Trek to say shit. And that one, like, Scottish security officer in Andor yeah. is the first Star mm-hmm. Wars character. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then the, uh, the, uh, the goofy, the goofy ensign redhead on Discovery. Yeah, the Tilly. First... Yeah, Tilly. She's the first yep. one to say fuck. Yeah. Um, so. I wonder who will be the first Tolkien character to say <laughs> fuck. <laughs> <laughs> It'll Everyone be a be dwarf. A, yeah, yeah, it'll be definitely be a dwarf. Yeah. Duran's like, oh shit, Elrond. We gotta <laughs> So uh yeah, and then th- I, I really like this final the scene between Riker and Kirk where they're both kind of yeah. having a little mini conversation. We get classic Riker, I I presume. Uh, <laughs> and being like, Fuck you, old man, I'm gonna live forever. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, that that works for Riker. And then I, my only oh, regret you know, in quotes, like, I wish this scene transitioned into the bridge of the new Enterprise as mm. they, you know, warp off into their next adventure because you know, they get beamed up to another ship, the Farragut, which is a you know, a name a named ship that is is you hear all the time in in next gen, and then those ships, you know, warp off into. Right. Whatever. Mm. I just wish they'd been on their their new ship. You know, I always like when the movie, when these Star Trek movies end with the next ship. Right. Right. But, is uh is warp off ever used as as an insult? <laughs> warp off. Warp I off. 
I don't think I don't I don't think they say stuff like that in Star Trek. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, they do oh, on lower what, decks, but I don't think any other. What else there. I've never seen in a Star Trek until this movie? It's at the very beginning with uh, the news media. I've never yeah. seen oh, yeah, film cameras. cameras, and I love that that the cameras themselves are like heads up display. It's very Borg like. Yeah, yeah. But it, they never hint at news or you know things being filmed movies you know they never talk about media that way in in next gen or any of the other treks so it's it was it's weird to see yeah it's usually 20th yeah. century media that they still go back and enjoy yeah. it's never right. like current stuff made for them right yeah right i uh and then yeah travis you mentioned soren's uh death as a predator monologue mm. and Picard counters that at, at the end of the movie with, I think death is a companion to remind us to, you know, savor and cherish every moment because it never comes again. Mm-hmm. And it's a poignant line for like these two guys that are like ending, you know, multiple eras are ending and then continuing at the same time. Like this isn't the end for them, but yeah, nevertheless. Yeah. yeah. Um, Solid movie, solid movie, and and a nice uh, sort of first outing from this crew, um, and uh, but you know it's followed up by I mean much like Star Trek the Motion Picture, it's followed up by like an absolute all time banger. Sure. So you know, <laughs> which I on- only saw for the first time a couple months ago. Wow, when we covered it, when we covered it for for my show. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed it. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh. Whew good one <laughs> and i haven't seen the 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 next two movies yeah insurrection and and uh nemesis well for yeah. sure we'll i mean the I'm, less said about those the better but yeah that's what i that's what i hear yeah, yeah yeah i'm excited next week to talk about my favorite star trek character of all time neil mcdonough <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah um all right well travis thanks for uh thanks for joining us uh my pleasure talking- Talking Star Trek Generations, uh, which uh, you talked about on your show, yeah, um, like a like a year ago or something like that, something like something that. Something like that, yeah, yeah. Um, tell year people, tell maybe, people but... about the show. So I do uh, a show called Real Comic Heroes, and we we created a, a big list of uh, primarily comic book movies, and we go through that list chronologically. We started with Superman and the Mole Men from 1951. And as of this recording, uh, we just did Steel and uh, Spawn from ni- 1997. Mm-hmm. Same year, uh, wow. I, Steel might have been 98. I forget if we transitioned from 97 into 98, but they might have been. No, they were both 97. Um, but yeah. So yeah, we we just go through comic book movies. We also do stuff like uh, James Bond movies, Star Trek, Star Wars, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, kind of Planet of the Apes. It, we you know added in some other genres, but you know geek also, culture stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, just check that out. That's uh, real comic heroes, real with two E's. And then my other show is Marvel Events Timeline, where we kind of similar format ish. We go through the, you know, the Marvel comic book universe one event at a time. But we started way back when it wasn't even Marvel; it was Timely Comics, uh, starting in 1939, and we're kind of moving 
forward, you know, hitting some key moments, big events, uh, big character introductions. But we also did did an episode about the artists going off to war, and we talked about Jack Kirby and Stan Lee mm-hmm. and Joe Simon and and other, you know, folks going to to you know what they went through in World War II and and things like that. So. Ooh. And try and take a look at the creators, not just the characters and, and that sort of thing. So very cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And once upon a time I did Watchmen Minute. So Oh right. That's right. You sure did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So check that out as well. well um, I can't wait to have you back on the show at some point and yeah. what we would consider the future. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Um, uh, DuelingGenre.com slash support. That's a link to our uh, Patreon page. Become a Patreon supporter and you'll get um, access to like all of the bonus content that we put up there, including the uh, weekly Dueling Genre Tonight, which Nick hosts uh, about the latest in entertainment news uh, and, uh, and, and also uh, franchise potential, um, which uh, pops up. In between each mini series uh, that we do on the main feed, we then do a sort of companion episode to a uh, failed uh, franchise starter um, over on, uh, on 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 the Patreon. So check that out, duelinggenre.com slash support. And we thank everybody who is a Patreon subscriber uh, currently and, and all of you who are thinking about doing it now. Thank you. We'll see you next week with Star Trek First Contact. Bye, everybody. Bye.